everyone. I'm Jenna Konar, and you're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is You Do What? A podcast that examines careers that are non-traditional and perhaps more interesting than your typical nine-to-five job. Now, if you've ever dreamed of working in foreign policy or simply have an interest in it, today's show is for you. And if you've ever thought about what it would be like to work for the Pentagon, today's show is definitely for you. Joining me for today's discussion is Ashley Stahl. Ashley is currently a career coach, a professional speaker, and the founder of Ashley Stahl Coaching. But before pursuing her current career path, she was a defense contractor for the Pentagon, where she served as an operations lead for the Pentagon's Ministry of Defense Advisors training program. Today, she's here to tell us more about that experience. Thanks for joining me today, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. I love being here. So why don't you start off just by telling us about your role at the Pentagon? Wow. Well, I networked my way into my job at the Pentagon. And and before that job, I was an administrative assistant. So it was a huge shift. I went from an executive assistant to an executive in one job hop um, when I was 23 years old. So I remember moving to Washington, D.C. with no job in my anywhere to be found or in my hands. And really, truly just being in a place where I was open to working in foreign affairs, ideally in national security. So I really pushed myself with my job options. I really learned the art of networking and the science of networking. And when I got my role at the Pentagon, what drew me to it was this idea that the program was really about helping other governments learn how to govern themselves versus just handing them resources. So this particular program was a new program. And it was for senior government officials who were selected to go to Afghanistan in an effort to help the government stand on its own two feet before the NATO withdrawal and before our troops came home. So the idea of the program was really to send out experts from the U.S. government to Afghanistan so they could help them hone in on their security and defense strategy. You know, whatever that expression is, you know, give a man a day, teach a man to fish, and he can eat for life. Mm -hmm. This was really the idea of the program, was sending experts from the United States out to Afghanistan to support them with their strategy and with their governing. And my role as a supervisor for this program was I would spend six weeks at a time with a group of government officials, and I would oversee their training process before they deployed. So... It was a gold standard program for pre-deployment training, and the government had poured a lot of money into ensuring that people were adequately prepared, whether that was understanding the culture, understanding security, understanding how to stay safe, understanding how to use a gun, all these different elements of what it meant to live abroad in a country like that. And I would work with ambassadors and all sorts of different experts across D.C., perhaps people from the National Security Council who really were looking to just learn as much as they could about how to deploy. And I would hire all sorts of different experts to educate our government advisors. And and these government advisors came from all various backgrounds. They were intelligence specialists. They were engineers. They were agriculture specialists. So all these different people would be educated by these experts that I would find on how to deal with life in Afghanistan and how to serve as well as they could while they were there for one year. Wow, it sounds like a great uh, range of responsibilities for early in your career to be handling all that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really incredible to see how I could go from being an assistant to taking on this kind of leadership, really realizing that anyone has that in there. 
So now, were you usually in D.C. or were you usually working in different areas? I was really probably spending about 70% of my time in D.C. and 30% of my time on different military bases across the Midwest. And you had mentioned before that one of the things that attracted you to this job was that it was all about helping other governments learn how to govern themselves. Was there anything else uh, specifically about this role that made you really interested and excited about starting this job? Yeah, I mean, this was a really long-term process for me. Even though I started my career in Los Angeles, which is where I'm from, I knew that I really wanted to serve, and I was just trying to figure out where my place was in this idea of being of service in the world. And later I figured out it was as a career coach, but the first way that I translated it, and I think this happens for a lot of people, was in the government. Mm-hmm. being of service. So I'll never forget this one moment in 2008. I was living abroad in France and I came across this man who hit his wife across the face in an alleyway. And this woman, really, she cried and she had a baby in her arms. Mm-hmm. And I felt completely powerless in this moment, just watching her as he was hitting her across the face. And it was just us in the alleyway. And it really got me thinking about this concept of security and what governments will do on a human level and on a national level to protect its people. And I was studying political science at the time, and this moment just really solidified my choice to move into national security and intelligence. And the impact that you can have in this field really pushed me to learn languages like Arabic and polishing my French to stand out as a candidate for government so that I could be of service in the world. So did you develop this interest mainly in the college years, or was it even earlier that you thought that a position in government would probably be ideal for you? I was always interested in government, given that I grew up in a house with the news always on and being Mm -hmm. discussed. But as I got into government, I realized that it wasn't my highest calling, and I was just too sensitive to soak up the bloodshed that a lot of the time can come with national security. And I was particularly pursuing a path of being a spy. So this would not have been aligned with who I was as a person, despite the fact that I was incredibly interested in the work. And I think this gap is something a lot of people face, wanting something out of interest versus skill and um, ability. Now, you had mentioned briefly before that your networking skills are really what helped lead you to this job. But I was wondering, how were you able to land such a prestigious job at such a young age? You were 23 at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I was 23 years old. I really think, Jenna, it just comes down to networking. Mm -hmm. It's such a golden ticket in life. And if you know how to network, it really often does not matter where you went to school, how your GP looked, what city you're from, or what your experience is. It's really, if you know how to network, you're able to pass go and collect 200. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're really able to skip a lot of paying your dues if you are a bright person with a lot to offer. And you really want to skip that phase of having to fetch coffee or having to assist someone. And you really want to dive into something with more responsibility. Networking is where it is because the more you expose yourself, the more you learn how to connect with people. You know, and I was so committed to connecting with as as many people as possible when I moved to D.C. and, And that was why in six weeks I was able to leverage three job offers was because I just hit the pavement really hard. I, I burned the bridges behind me. Not that I recommend doing that, but meaning I left my job to move to D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really didn't have an option other than to succeed. And I, I am so grateful that that worked out. Wow. And it must have taken a lot of determination as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you had mentioned that you were studying political science. 
what type of education was required for this position? Well, when you're moving into the national security or counterterrorism or intelligence space, such as a CIA or NSA, you really need a master's degree in government, any sort of topic relating to government. So foreign affairs, public policy even would work in order to be competitive. And generally, they're really looking for someone who's mastered at least a couple languages in addition to their home language. Okay, so some pretty high expectations then as far as going into this type of career. Yeah, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. It's something that a lot of people commit to, and it's absolutely something people can transition into, but they really have to do so with like their whole heart in it as far as pursuing the languages and the education. Now, I'm assuming the job with the government was financially beneficial. Would you be able to give us a general range of salary that people who are going into this type of position can expect? Yeah, absolutely. You know, people in a management role on a defense contract should expect to make anywhere from 75K to 150K. Okay. It's really a big range because it depends on the level of management that you were taking on. So for me, you know, when I was an admin assistant, anything would have been a better salary than what (laughs) I was making. And I was lucky enough to triple that when I took my job at the Pentagon. So I was really between 75 and 100K. So looking back on your job with the Pentagon, what would you say that you loved the most about that job? I would say I love the freedom and the creativity the most. Freedom is a word that just really sparked something inside of me, and I found that it sparked something inside a lot of people. You know, the company I was with allowed me to exercise real leadership and creativity by deciding what was missing in the program and then allowing me the space to go out there and fill the gap and go interview different people. And and there's something really creative about that, something really creative about deciding what's missing. There was a phase where in Afghanistan, there were an increasing amount of insider attacks, meaning that people who thought, people from the U.S. who went out there thinking that they had an ally were actually getting shot in the head by their own allies. So at the time when this program began, there were very little insider attacks. So there was no guns or weapons trainings because no one asked to take a gun out to Afghanistan. But the moment that there were more attacks, insider attacks in the Ministry of Defense in Kabul and the Ministry of Interior in Kabul, that was when I started to see a lot of advisors taking guns with them. Mm -hmm. And that really alerted us of how important it was to teach them how to use a gun. So these were the sorts of loopholes that I was responsible for identifying in the system. And once I identified something like that, I was able to go out there and think, who is the best person to train them with these guns and to teach them how to use them? It's very empowering to have that kind of freedom and creativity. Right. So then on the flip side, what were some aspects of the job that you maybe didn't like or maybe you found them to be very challenging? I have to say, Jenna, The hardest thing about that job was my age uh, Mm -hmm. and my gender. I mean, being a woman was really, you couldn't find another one of me for miles. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, but my job was really progressing wonderfully until I remember one official who was at least 30 years my senior interrupted me mid-sentence and he asked with really frank kind of incredulity, how old are you? Mm. And although I expected to hear that question at some point, it nevertheless really stop me in my tracks. And I didn't anticipate how much it would hurt or how personally I would take the tone that they were using. And over the next few weeks, the age references just kept coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard everything from you look like my granddaughter to 
are you even old enough to remember 9-11? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, even something like, I've run out of peanut butter. Can you run and go get me some? Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't exactly fake wrinkles. So mm. it was disheartening to see that my age was undercutting my reputation. But it was really something that inspired me to become a better leader and really explore how I can bridge that kind of gap with people. And that's great how you're able to take something that's, you know, negative and not helpful and turn it into something a little more positive. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, as my as my work as a career coach progresses, it's just so rewarding to see how I've kind of wrung myself out like a wet towel where all these experiences are starting to make sense and I'm able to serve people from a real place of knowing and experience being in their shoes. So for our listeners who are curious, do you have any interesting stories or maybe one story in particular about your time with the Pentagon that you'd like to share? There's so many. I would say (laughs) the most interesting story was that we had to travel to a military base in the Midwest to do these defense exercises and preparation for the deployment. And the particular base that I was on was a psych ward in the in the past, in the 80s. Okay. So this military base in the Midwest was just a very odd place to be in, in the forest. And the rooms where I had to sleep were like hospital-style rooms oh. due to the fact that it used to house people in, in a psych ward. So it was very eerie energy. And when I was there, I heard that the team from Ghost Hunters was filming oh, the episode. Wow. And that was so unsettling. <laughs> the second thing... I would love to share about what was interesting was really learning from someone. I met a woman named Zara who was an Afghan refugee. She was my assistant for for the job that I was doing. And Zara was years before I'd met her, just a couple of years before, living in Afghanistan on the border with Pakistan in a camp. And she had heard about a program that funds Afghan women for their education in the United States. And the year that she applied, it was closed. Um, we were budget cutting in the government, and so she didn't make it through. And instead of accepting that, she actually submitted her um, emails. She went to an Afghan, uh, you know, an Afghan internet cafe, used whatever money she had, and she started emailing different people and nonprofit organizations that might be picking up the funding to fund women coming to the U.S. And she actually heard back from Doris Buffett, who's oh. the sister of Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. And what was so amazing was that Doris Buffett and Warren Buffett funded her to come to this country and get her education. And eventually she was my assistant for the Pentagon and helping with this program. And what I learned from her was just really grit. Uh, this mm-hmm. girl, I mean, she had a real work ethic. She's really grateful to be a part of this country. And it was really interesting to see how she created her own fate. And it was also really entertaining because I would ask her what she would do on for Thanksgiving, and I realized only later that she was actually having Thanksgiving with the Buffets in oh, Nebraska. Wow. So that was <laughs> an interesting person to be working with and learning from, and I'm very grateful for her. So with so many cool experiences, it sounds like you had a really great career there. What ultimately led you to decide to pursue a different career path, and that is the career path of becoming a career coach? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of facing things head on. As I mm-hmm. found that, really, truly, it's, there's never in your highest good to sit in denial, and so many people do that for fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my Pentagon job, so many friends and people I knew from college were asking me how to get job offers and the salary like I did so quickly. A lot of people were stuck paying all these dues that they really shouldn't have had to do with their masters and with all their education. 
So I started running coffee groups around Washington, D.C., and what went from a couple friends turned into like 20 people in these coffee shops and me getting kicked out of Starbucks, literally, (laughs) for doing this. And it wasn't until later people kept telling me, you should be a career coach. And I kind of laughed and thought that that sounded like poverty. You know, (laughs) what am I going to do as a career coach? And it wasn't until I hired a coach and really realized that this was my highest calling, helping people get job offers, helping people figure out what they want to do. And then I could make it into anything I wanted. So since then, I've quit my job. I've launched my practice. And I've become a speaker on this topic that I love so much. And I get to really just get emails every day from different clients who are getting job offers faster than they could have imagined. And it's just such an empowering and rewarding way to now be of service. So it's cool how you transitioned from one way of being of service, and that was to the government, and now being of service to people who are looking for jobs or for they're looking to promote their career even further. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, being of service is such a beautiful way to have a career. So as we're wrapping up here, I wanted to give you the floor just for the last uh, minute or so. For those who are listening who are interested in pursuing a career in foreign policy, what final advice would you offer to them? I recommend people start cold networking. And what I mean by that is really just networking outside of their immediate network because it's very rare that the people in their immediate network know exactly who's the right person to be hiring for the exact job that they want. And I think it's so much more empowering to start meeting people who are outside of your network who are in a position to be really helping you out. And to anyone who's really feeling like they want to explore the job hunt and really give some thought more to their own mindset around the job hunt, they're welcome to go to my website at www.ashleystall.com to get a free career success kit, which has an audio on how to master the job hunt and another audio on how to get into a more successful mindset. And it's just jam-packed with job hunting and career nuggets. And my intention is really to help people with that information. All right, great. So with that last message, we will wrap up the show. You've been listening to Ashley Stahl discuss her former career as a defense contractor for the Pentagon. Thanks so much for sharing your experiences with us today, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. And we love to hear from you, the listeners, as well. Send your comments or suggestions to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can find us on Twitter under at the LJN. Once again, I'm Jenna Konar, and thanks for joining us.